Oh 
amazing uh, medley of music from the Shalhevet Orchestra and Singers. 6.30 in the morning, it's Friday, it's JM in the AM. Good morning and welcome. My name is Nahum Siegel and uh, here we are as we uh, are back from the uh, journey to the Holy Land and I want to thank Randy who sat in yesterday. I want to thank all of you for the reaction to the incredible programming that we had the privilege of bringing you from Israel. The uh, Nefesh B'Nefesh journey was simply remarkable. <laughs> 
I, uh, I've been joking about the number of times that uh, Miriam L. Wallach and I have made fake Aliyah by uh, joining with Nefesh Benefesh in these historic flights and then putting together and hosting shows from the airport as the big celebration goes on when everyone lands in Israel. It is pretty unbelievable. And um, this was no exception. It was uh, very strange being the first ones off the plane and heading straight in throughout that whole celebration to do a radio show. But uh, on the other end, being part of that celebration and experiencing what it's like for hundreds of people at once to move to Israel and make the commitment and set down their roots and have one of the most remarkable days of their lives uh, was just unbelievable. And a big thank you, of course, to Rabbi Josh Fass and Tony Gelbart and to the entire staff of Nefesh Benefesh for making that possible. It was really another dream come true for us and for a lot of people. It was literally their dream come true. Uh, I want to thank both Atarat Khanim and the One Israel Fund. When we walked into the Efrat Medical Center on Wednesday, we thought it would be... Um, uh, an interesting program, especially in light of the fact that we had uh, re- recently, just on Tuesday, visited the Yemenite village in the eastern part of Yushalayim and had been uh, really psyched up to speak to some of the great personalities of Judea and Samaria and, of course, Jerusalem. And uh, sure enough, during Wednesday's show, we met some incredible people. We spoke with some unbelievable heroes and um, brought to life the work of those uh, two outfits in Israel that are just uh, doing incredible work with the future of the Jewish people always in mind, always in mind. And it was just a, a remarkable day, one of, the, one of the highlights. There were many, many highlights during that Wednesday show, and I hope everybody had a chance to hear it already. Uh, but one of them for me was speaking to Rabbi Shlomo Riskin in Efrat. I believe it's the first time I interviewed him literally in his hometown. <laughs> He's chief rabbi of Ephra. Uh We have spoken to him many times before, of course. And um, he and many other people made that a very interesting, fascinating, and really historic program in many ways. It was, uh, it was great to be there in uh, the Gush and to bring you that broadcast on Wednesday. On Wednesday afternoon, and <laughs> the last night I was at the, um, last night I was at the uh, Spivak, um, uh, Slotnik wedding that took place uh, on Long Island, and it's obvious that a lot of people heard our show from the Carmel Winery, which was first aired 11 o'clock on our stream yesterday during the Thursday live lunch, and we had the amazing privilege to be there and um, be again in one of the historic places of Israel uh, on Wednesday afternoon, and a big thank you to everybody at Carmel and our, our uh, friends here at Royal Wine who made the whole trip possible uh, to their winery. And uh, obviously we encourage people, especially before holiday time, to purchase Israeli wine and support the Israeli economy. And that was a great show. Uh, we had the chance to do that when we were there on Wednesday. Uh, Randy Wartelski, she sat in yesterday, and I thank her for that. Someone, again, at the wedding last night commented how great yesterday's show was. It's always wonderful to hear that feedback from everybody. So tadaraba uh, to those who toss in comments, especially the positive ones after our program's air. And um, today we get back to, quote-unquote, our uh, regular format. I don't know if there is a regular format here at JM and the AM. I don't know if there's ever been one in 31 years. But today Malcolm Holmline will join us. The weekly update is an important part of each week because uh, my mother was sick a couple of weeks back. And, of course, 
Um, uh, the next week, uh, she uh, passed away, and we were sitting Shiva. Uh, we haven't had a chance to uh, do a regular Friday show and include Malcolm and his comments and analysis in quite a while. We'll do that today at 7.40 Eastern Time on the stream uh, at jmnam.org and on the NSN app and obviously on your radio at all three of our great radio stations. So Malcolm Holmline just over an hour from now with a weekly update here at JM in the AM. And again, a big thank you uh, as we traveled the world this week and as uh, I've been to a lot of events and different things going on uh, in the community. Uh, more and more people continue to shower us with uh, wishes of condolence and um, uh, to express their uh, their sadness to our family for the loss of my mother, and it's greatly appreciated. And uh, I thank you for that. J.M. in the A.M. at 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. More coming up if you keep it at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. It is Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shoftim. We'll call candlelighting. I'll double-check this, but we'll call candlelighting for now at the 725. 725 uh, official candlelighting time. A lot of synagogues do begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It's Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shoftim. Again, we'll call it for 7.25 candlelighting time on this era of Shabbos, and I thank you for tuning in to JM in the AM. Yerushalayim, 
Sam in the AM. For the uh, person I saw in Williamsburg this morning, who early this morning, who, who said I don't talk enough before 7 o'clock, hey, we're breaking now so I can get a few words in. Yaakov Shweki with Kamu. You heard the Mimkomcha done by Simon Cohen. And before that, Baruch Abitan here at JM in the AM. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shoftim, candle lighting at 725. It's getting earlier, believe it or not. Welcome back to those who've enjoyed an amazing summer and summer camp. There are a lot of camps that have uh, ended this past week. Some are going to be ending at some point after this Shabbos. I guess this will be the last uh, big Shabbos up in the Catskill region. After that, people will really start uh, flocking back to the New York, uh, greater metropolitan area. I want to thank those who are spending their Friday morning on three different radio stations with us. A lot of people starting at 91.1 FM, then going to 90.1 FM in the Catskill region. Of course, in between, many of them are checking out 91.9 on the FM dial in Rockland County. It's amazing that we have three radio stations, plus, of course, the jmnam.org stream, the NSN app, so you can go ahead and uh, listen from anywhere around the world, and it's much appreciated that you do. Don't forget, you can comment on the NSN app, as so many listeners did during our programming this week from Israel. It's great to read your comments and hear what you have to say. Uh, make sure to uh, go to the NSN app and hit the uh, Add a Comment tab, which you'll see at the bottom right of the home screen, and you'll be able to uh, tell us where you're listening or what you're enjoying, or a comment or question, maybe from Malcolm Holmline, who's going to join us in the 7 o'clock hour, etc., etc. Use the comment section of the app to be uh, interactive with us throughout the broadcast. And again, we're very glad that the people around the world are taking advantage of that. It's JM in the AM with, again, a reminder that um, this coming week, believe it or not, we're going to be hitting the road again. Details about our gourmet glot pre-Rosh Hashanah celebration. That's right, 57... Oh, gosh, I, I better get this right. Is it 5776? <laughs> Where's my calendar? <laughs> I can't even keep track of the year anymore. We're now 5775, right? Yeah, so 5776 Rosh Hashanah celebration with Gourmet Glot is going to be happening Wednesday between 6 and 9 a.m. Details, as many as we can reveal, we'll have for you on Monday morning. Have all those details Monday morning. And... um Including exactly where the show will be. Um, you know, Gourmet Glot at this point has a, uh, has an amazing, I don't want to say empire, because it sounds, that sounds like a derogatory term in some ways. They have this incredible chain of wonderful, uh, outlets. Um, all of which I believe we have visited one time or another. So we'll find out exactly where the pre-Rosh Hashanah celebration is going to be, and that'll happen Wednesday between six and nine. You know, Rosh Hashanah is right around the corner. No joke. We kept saying this during the Carmel Winery show. Um, all the different uh, people out there in the audience who are going to be shopping for wine before the Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. We're encouraging people to buy Israeli wine. Make sure you include it in your uh, in your purchases before the holiday. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at ninety one point nine on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world in the web, jmnam.org. We welcome those tuned in on the NSN app. I thank you very much. If you don't have it, install it on your smartphone ASAP. It's called NSN, Nahum Siegel Network. Install that ASAP in your iPhone or whatever smartphone you may have. And a uh, big thank you to Randy Wartelski for sitting in yesterday. The reviews, wonderful. Every time a sub 
subs here at JM and the AM. They get great reviews and for good reason. Everyone does great high quality shows and it's much appreciated. Galitz on the background. We'll be doing our news from Israel coming up at 8.40. Excuse me, at 7.40. It'll be Malcolm Holmline. There are so many issues to discuss that we have not had a chance to discuss over the last couple of weeks. We'll get to them at 7.40 this morning right here at JM and the AM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Book your toe from JM and the AM. Galitzal, ראש הממשלה נתניהו אומר לאחר חיסול משגרי הרקטות בסוריה, אין לישראל כוונה להסלים את המצב. כתבתנו אליל שחר. אמרנו השבוע כי מי שינסה לפגוע בנו, אנחנו נפגע בו, וכך עשינו. צהל פגע בחוליה שביצעה את הירי לעבר הצפון ובכוחות הסורים שאפשרו אותו. אין לנו כוונה לדרדר את המצב, אך על המדינות שבמערות לחבק את איראן לדעת שהיא נתנה את ההכוונה לפעולה לשון הודעת ראש הממשלה. העשורים טוענים שההרוגים בתקיפה הם אזרחים, כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. דמשק הרשמית טוענת כי הרוגי התקיפה הם אזרחים, נוסף על כך מדווח אתר חדשות מהאופוזיציה הסורית על תקיפה שלישית הבוקר. בתקיפה הרגו מטוסי צה"ל שני אנשי ביטחון סוריים במכונית. תאילנד שילשה את הסכום שהיא מוכנה לשלם למי שימסור מידע על הפיצוץ בבנקוק, כתבנו תאו וייס. אדם שיעזור לרשויות בתאילנד לתפוס את החשוד בביצוע הפיגוע במקדש ארוואן יתוגמל בשלושה מיליון בת, כ-85 אלף דולר. בתאילנד טוענים להתקדמות בחקירה, אך עד כה לא ידועים פרטים אודות החשוד העיקרי או על שותפים אפשריים לביצוע הפיצוץ. ילד בן שלוש נפצע בינוני לאחר שנפל מגובה במתקן שעשועים באלומה. פרמדיקים של מד"א פינו אותו לבית החולים סורוקה בבאר שבע עם חשש לפגיעת ראש. שרפה פרצה במקלט בבניין מגורים ברחוב ויצמן בגבעתיים. לא ידוע על נפגעים. כתבנו איתמר קציר מוסר ששלושה צוותי כיבוי מנסים להשתלט על הלהבות. נסיעת קוריאה הדרומית ביקרה בגבול עם קוריאה הצפונית והדגישה שלא תסבול התגרויות נוספות של השכנה מצפון. הנסיעה הורתה לכוחות הצבא להגיב באופן מיידי במקרה וקוריאה הצפונית תמשיך במה שהנסיעה מכנה פרובוקציות. הלילה הכריז קים ג'ונג און על כוננות מלחמה בארצו והגביר את האיומים על פתיחה בפעולה צבאית. תחזית מזג האוויר, הקלה בעומס החום, בראשון ירידה נוספת בטמפרטורות, ולסיום, ג'נפר לורנס היא השחקנית המרוויחה בעולם. כתבנו תאו וייס. על פי דירוג פורבס, כוכבת משחקי הרעב היא השחקנית המרוויחה בעולם עם הכנסות מוערכות ב-52 מיליון דולרים בשנה החולפת. לורנס בת ה-25 צפויה אף לבסס את מעמדה בראש הדירוג, כשבעוד שלושה חודשים יצא סרט נוסף מסדרת משחקי הרעב. במקום השני ברשימה עם כ-20 מיליון דולרים פחות נמצאת השחקנית סקרלט ג'והנסון. זה היה פחות כמו כתבנו תאו וייס ויותר כמו כתבתנו יערה שפירא. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל יחזקאלי בצוות רון לאב יוד ועידן סדרס. Gibt sich jede, jede mich Einzigkeit in euch Schabes Chalis, Fleisch und Fisch 
Zu bescheinen der Schabestisch, weil alles ist Lekowitsch abes. Levialai, wani poireia, ich hab doch die größte Matteia. Ich meig sich leihen, borgen, bat sollen ist sie sorgen, euch Gotthaft hoch geht der Schabes. Wer kennt dem Jifferstein in seine Tannigen der Greichen als Kind Heiligen
Candles, they always burn so bright on Friday nights. The smell of challah is always right on Friday nights. And when we're here and we're all dressed up, my father picks up the kiddush cup. And I know it's the start of a special day. I got my shabbos, oh, oh, I got my shabbos, oh, oh, I got my shabbos starting Friday night, every Friday night. I got my shabbos, oh, oh, I got my shabbos, oh, oh, I got my shabbos starting Friday night, every Friday Yet none could find a way or make time in their 
special song that's called Me Mama Kim from the Don Reichel Project. And uh, what an amazing performance they had. I know we couldn't air it. Or if we could have, we didn't. <laughs> uh, their performance at the Nefesh Benefesh celebration when everybody got to uh, Ben Gurion Airport into the old terminal and started the the massive celebration. That's what it is after realizing their dream of Aliyah. That was the music that was going on in the background when uh, Miriam L. Wallach and I were hosting the uh, show from uh, Ben Gurion Airport on that very Tuesday. I hope it inspired people. I hope it inspired people to call Nevish Benevish and get involved in shortening the bridge between uh, Israel and uh, North America, as Nevish Benevish has so brilliantly done over the last 13 years. It's JM in the AM. Uh, before that, you heard uh, Benny Friedman with Just One Shabbos. That was off of the Shabbos project. I got my Shabbos done by Schlockrock, eighth day with its Shabbos now, and Haliger's Shabbos from Schwabel, Scharf, and Levine. My gosh. Everybody into singing about Shabbos on a Friday morning. Candle lighting at 725, Erev Shabbos, Parsha, Shoftim. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And... um and uh, don't forget, we have amazing programming all through the weekend, including uh, JM Sunday with Matis. That happens every single Sunday morning between 7 and 9 with news from English and Israel, uh, which is always a big hit. Uh, Matis uh, conducts that program, JM Sunday, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream, jmandtheam.org. Uh, and you have an opportunity to hear it uh, this coming Sunday, 7 a.m., Eastern Time. Check it out on the NSN app. Sounds even better on the app. Yeah, no matter how good it sounds on the radio, on the app it sounds even better. How do you like that? Well, there are a lot of people out there that um, that might be under the suspicion that uh, Benny Friedman's Imein Anili Mili is his original song. But as we said when, uh, when he first released it, it's a cover of the incredible uh, Raya Mehemna tune done by Isaac B. Tone and Company many, many years ago. So we thought we'd play that for you on a Friday morning Arab Shabbos broadcast here at JM in the AM.
Mountain's open desert tent. History's children in every event are looking for a way to lighten up their load. And brighter than the sun you shine, Jerusalem, you're on my mind, you lift my soul, you echo the divine. Providence that guides us so that we may teach and all may know the hand that may admonish or reward has given us this holy space, Jerusalem. To you I turn, I trace my steps back to you now again. Jerusalem is calling, Jerusalem is calling.
J.M. and the A.M. Is it possible that the centerpiece of our programming this week was Aliyah and we forgot to play that song? <laughs> I think we did forget to play it. Had to get it in before Shabbos. Jerusalem is calling. It's, of course, Avram Rosenblum and Diaspora here at J.M. In the AM, a uh, Friday morning broadcast. I thank you for tuning in. No matter what radio station you're on, if you're up in the Catskill region, thank you. If you're in the Rockland County region, thank you. If you're in the New York, New Jersey area, thank you. If you're listening from around the world, thank you. Uh, we've met a lot of people over the last week from a lot of different areas, a lot of different places, who are tuned in on the NSN app and listening in, especially Friday morning. Everyone loves the Arab Shabbos show. And uh, you can comment on the app. Toss in a comment or question or let us know where you're listening and really uh, do us some good here knowing that we're reaching out internationally to people who appreciate great Jewish programming. It is much appreciated that you're listening from wherever you are. Malcolm Holmline will be uh, with us in just a couple of minutes. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Because of the personal circumstances here, my mother's passing, um, we were not able to speak with Malcolm over the last couple of weeks. That segment does return today, minutes from now. And we'll review as much as we can of the last few weeks here at JM in the AM. Uh, we'll try to get to everything if possible. I don't think that is possible in a typical week, so probably not this week either, but we'll do as much as we can. Meaning, uh, Meanwhile, speaking of uh, Jerusalem, eighth day, Jerusalem Stone, one of our recent favorites. This is JM in the AM.
this thing called time I fell twice but I'll rise once more Made a stone, I don't cry no more Etched your name upon my spine Way before this thing called time I fell twice but I'll rise once more Made a stone, I don't cry no Eitan Katz. Candlelighting 725. It's getting earlier. Candlelighting 725 on this era of Shabbos Parsha Shoftim. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Malcolm Holmline in a moment. We'll have our first weekly update in a couple of weeks, and we'll uh, explore the news of the last couple of weeks here at JM in the AM. Want to thank our friends at OnlySimchas.com. I, I didn't even—I got to look because I would assume that uh, based on the programming that we provided this week from Israel and some of the amazing interviews and stories we were able to cover, I would assume it made part of the uh, OnlySimchas.com news feed. They have, aside from the uh, incredible news that they share with everybody about the uh, births and bar mitzvahs and weddings and engagements and all that, they have an incredible news feed now that includes uh, different Jewish items from around the world or of interest, at least, to the Jewish community around the world. And uh, they are including a lot of our material, and I say thank the thank you to them. Our friends at JewishWorldView.com, a great resource. You can go print out a million, well, almost a million articles <laughs> about so many things happening in the Jewish world and commentary about this amazing world of ours. Go to JewishWorldView.com, who continue to enthusiastically remind their hundreds of thousands of readers about our incredible stream at jmdm.org, and we greatly 
appreciate that. Oh, I want to remind everybody when by the time by the time usually now, and this is really a new development. Uh, and it's really important for those who, who are able to hear the second half of our weekly update but are never able to, because of their own schedule, can't tune into the very uh, beginning of our weekly update. And it's really important to people like you because there's a lot of important stuff at the beginning of the weekly update. If I would ask Malcolm, he'd agree with me. There's a lot of important stuff at the beginning of the weekly update each week. So by the time Rabbi Yudin ends um, uh, his the Torah portion of the week, which I guess is usually around 8.40 Eastern time, usually by then... The archive of our weekly update from this morning, from this morning, is already up in the archive section of the Nahum Siegel Network app. So if you go to our network app, even before 9 o'clock this morning, uh, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, and you search archives and go to the weekly update section, uh, you will already have today's complete weekly update, and you'll be able to hear the beginning if you were not able to catch the opening moments. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, welcome back to you and to me. <laughs> it's been a while. Had the same experience this week of, of going and coming from Israel before we could unpack. So it was... Uh, yeah, we did have similar experiences, right? Uh, well, obviously, Malcolm, you know why I missed the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to uh, selfishly just ask you to reiterate what so many people have said uh, privately to us as the Siegel family over the last couple of weeks. You knew my parents. You knew them well. You knew the leadership role they took in the Jewish world and how my uh, how uh, my mother's... Um, uh, how her role was so key to everything that my father was able to accomplish... Um, if there's anything we could learn from their lives, it's get involved, be involved, and take the future of the Jewish people seriously. I, I think it's absolutely true, and uh, often the wives get uh, play the supportive role, but it's actually the most critical role. Uh, without them, husbands couldn't do anything, and not only that, but your mother, who would always ask very good questions. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> what was going on, yeah, I got um, <laughs> and what was herself uh, very interested and engaged. But to be the Rebbitson of an important community at the time and to to have played the role in building uh, in Newark and uh, your father's, uh, Oliver Shalom's, important work at the Memorial Foundation, other things uh, throughout all the years, uh, it's, uh, she's a remarkable woman, and uh, all of us have expressed our Nechum Abelum to you and to your uh, family, but just look at the family she raised is the testament to her. Well, I got, listen, I, you know what I'm about to say. I got to share with the audience. <laughs> now, now that, now that, you know, now that my mother's gone, maybe this is a, the, the time to tell the story, but there were, there were times, Malcolm, and you know why I'm laughing, where, where my mother would ask me what you said, you know, uh, uh, you know, that Friday, what you had said that day when I walked into her apartment if she didn't hear the show. And I would jokingly, of course, say something like, you know, the world's coming to an end, or this week the world's not coming to an end, depending, depending on what on what the report was. And there were times, and this is why it's so funny to me that I'm recalling this with you, there were times where I literally, and you can attest to it, would pick up the phone and bother you in the middle of a very important Friday afternoon, just so you could reassure her that it looks like over Shabbos will be okay, that the world will continue to stay. Right. <laughs> so... 
<laughs> but by the way, that's another factor is that she was such a she was such a news junkie even until the very very end. We know she passed away at 89 years old. Even until the very very end, a real throwback. Somebody you know, somebody in her position who uh, was not only supportive and raised the family, but was really, really interested on a critical level about everything that was happening in the Jewish world. You don't always see that these days, but uh, just wanted to point that out. What can I tell you? So there you have it, and uh, I thank you for that. All right, a lot, lots has happened over the last couple of weeks, as we know. Let's start with some of the news items. Uh, first of all, we'll start immediately with what's going on up north. It seems like there's some type of activity, military activity, between Israel and Syria at this point. Is this uh, anything new, and is it serious, in fact? Well, it is serious. Uh, I have talked about it uh, on the show uh, for the last few months about the escalation, the concern, uh, about the IRGC, they're on revolutionary guards present there, the fact that you have hundreds of Hezbollah soldiers in the Syrian Golan, and that you had a coordinated effort between the Syrian army, the IRGC, and Hezbollah. Uh, and you remember the incident where the Iranian general and the leader of Hezbollah were killed, uh, a key officer was, were killed, and the belief that they were trying to tunnel under, the uh, build tunnels under the, uh, into the Golan underground. To uh, be able to infiltrate the Israeli army, obviously, is on top of that, checking it all the time. Uh, but you've also had errant fire, meaning that there were conflicts between different groups on Nusra, which is along the border, being attacked by Al Qaeda, being attacked by uh, others, uh, or clashes with the Syrian army, where missiles were misfired and hit inside Israel. Mm. It was not the intent to target uh, Israeli uh, property. In most cases, they just land in open fields. This was different. This was a deliberate attack. They targeted hitting across uh, Israel, and it's believed that this is uh, the work of Islamic Jihad. They, Israel hit back today. They, they supposedly killed the cell responsible for this uh, at, uh, attack. But we have seen this as an uh, escalating situation, and Israel has to send a clear message that nothing will be tolerated, that they will retaliate immediately and uh, strongly. Yesterday they hit, I think, 14 targets, uh, at least, uh, and um, uh, the, the number of casualties wasn't as important as knocking out offensive capabilities uh, on the other side. So you, you have a, a situation that is obviously of concern. Iran has long talked about this being its western border, its defense border, uh, along the Golan and the Lebanese border. We've seen in Lebanon... The Lebanese army now is doing joint patrols with Hezbollah, and probably not at their request, but Hezbollah has, has imposed itself, uh, and this is in violation of the ceasefire agreements, uh, as is virtually everything else that goes on in, the, in southern Lebanon, where the weapons flow, etc., where it's all supposed to be barred under Resolution 1701, and they, it is not, and the flow of weapons continues. Iran is trying to provide... Uh, much more offensive weapons, meaning missiles and the guidance systems. Israel, as, as uh, you hear periodically, prevented those from those weapons from reaching, uh, but uh, uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon. Mm-hmm. But the the concern is a that they store them in Syria and move them at another time. B that with the new influx of money, they'll be in a much better position to do more. All right. So it's very comparable to the situation that we were used to in Gaza already. I mean, uh, Iranian-sponsored, you know, sending rockets, testing Israel, seeing what type of reaction they'd get, right? I mean, in those ways, very similar. 
It, it, it is, and the, the I think we can anticipate the same thing. You saw they moved another uh, battery of the, um, uh, the, the, the missile defense, the Iron Dome near Beersheba, yeah. because of the concern that with the, some because of some of the rising tensions that that the Islamic Jihad or somebody in Gaza will start up. Hamas has not uh, itself. But we know that ISIS, for instance, fired a few rockets in order to try to provoke a situation which was um, uh, contained, let's say, uh, for now. And, and we're seeing it in, in a lot of things. We're seeing the, the uh, spread of Hezbollah, for instance, to Latakia, which is you know, the uh, stronghold of the Alawites and the, the Assads. And uh, they've opened a new building. They're, they're spreading uh, their presence, even though they've suffered significant losses and Iran is tr- through them obviously they are giving money to, um, uh, to Hezbollah they're providing uh, a lot of the, the support and one of the things that people don't understand is that it doesn't take much to support a terrorist entity you know it, it is in the millions of dollars every year that they give them uh, and we know that Tehran has been behind these renewed attacks and the tensions in Israel's north um, for their purposes. They also may be using it to, to unite the parties in Syria to get the diversion uh, from Assad. Uh, and there are some beliefs that they may have uh, you know, given up on the ability to long-term protect Assad, but for the time being, they're certainly, they certainly seem to be, together with Russia, still uh, there. Russia just provided MiG-3s to the Syrian army I don't know what, what exactly they will use them for, but they, they are showing that they continue to be supportive. And we, on the other hand, provided a billion dollars in military equipment to the Lebanese military. Well, and it's beyond that. If terrorist activity is as you know inexpensive as you describe, or you, know, you get r- great value for your dollar, obviously anybody focused on the Iran deal knows how much money is heading to one of the world's greatest terrorist sponsors at this so point. So when you talk about, let's say, 5% of $100 billion or $50 billion, right. $2.5 billion, is more than enough to fund Hamas and Hezbollah and Houthis and others, and um, to expand their activities. And as I just said, that it, on the other hand, we gave a billion dollars in military equipment to the Lebanese military. Now you see their role with Hezbollah, and we know that material makes its way. So, so though Saudi Arabia paid for a lot of it, the fact is that this stuff can be can move very quickly from one hand to uh, to another. They are getting such an unbelievable windfall. People don't realize it. It's one of the most important aspects of this whole Iran deal, aside from everything else, trustworthiness of the Iranians and, you know, what the United States' role is going to be going forward in terms of whether they're willing to stop them militarily, etc. All those are important issues, but the cash is such an important part of the whole thing. And it's a more immediate. I mean, the right. cash that they could get, they won't get it now. It, it will take at least six months, but they have to be in compliance in order to get it. But we know that they're going to at least uh, on a visible level, be in compliance uh, in order to qualify for the money. And the, the windfall, which will not go to the benefit of people, but even if, if 80% of it goes to build roads or do high-profile things, and remember the RGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, and Khomeini and all these guys control a very big part of the Iranian economy. Mm. I mean, a quarter or more, 30%. So they tend to benefit from it. He has a billion-dollar corporation, Khomeini. He has... Uh, you know, his own, his own network, which will all derive benefit from increased trade or, or sales and the influx of uh, of the money, which 
Yeah. yeah, and something you've been telling us now for weeks, maybe months, is the investment potential in Iran. The Times, in fact, has an article today that really outlines exactly uh, how much Iran can cash in on this whole uh, deal with the West. The, the, it, it seems never ending. It's not even if, if we're if we're upset or worried about the amount of money that the United States and the others have you know committed to Iran for this deal. It's so far beyond that. The investment opportunity and the potential of funds coming into Iran at this point is endless. And now we see Russia selling the F-300 to Iran. Iran is already planning many more purchases of offensive weapons as well, because in anticipation of the influx of that money, and the um, uh, the S-300, which was is a very effective missile defense, which will make it much harder to penetrate Iran in the event that sometime the military option has to be exercised. Um, Russia stopped it a couple years ago in response to the sanctions, but now has uh, renewed the sale and this time said they will deliver it. The um, And when you think about then the, some of the revelations of the last few days about some aspects of the Parchin side agreement where where the inspections will be done by Iran, though despite the denials, it appears, and it's according to AP, which the reporters who saw the document, the original in Vienna, uh, the the inspections are, are essentially being carried out by Iran that determines seven sites that they will take samples from, but they take the samples, they deliver it, they do everything, which, and everybody has heard all the analogies to a drug addict right. testing himself, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But the, and it's such a good example. <laughs> but Yeah, but it shouldn't be dismissed, right. because it is a very important consideration. Also, we learned that Iran gets to choose... The, or has a veto over the inspectors, meaning that they have to approve. And they've already, the, the people selected it, and they've already said, no Canadians are Americans. So, you know, <laughs> every time you, you touch something here, it, it opens up more questions and more issues. Oh. Um, and I don't know if you saw some of the statements by Iranian dissidents. Yeah. And, of course, the battle of pro and con statements coming out and of senators coming out for and against the deal. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a moment, but it's, uh, some of them are very strong. You know what? We'll get to that in a second. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockin' County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. If you missed any of our weekly updates so far, keep in mind on the NSN app within the hour in the archive section, in the weekly update section of the archive section of the app, you'll be able to find our conversation from this morning and get the early part. Um, before I, I'll ask you about the senators in a second, but you, you met with the prime minister this week. This has got to be the biggest question of our listeners right now. We, it, it's so hard to project or conjecture how seriously this topic of the Iran deal is being taken in Israel. And I don't mean how seriously the topic in general. We know it's very serious in Israel. But I wonder how the prime minister is watching with bated breath or maybe couldn't care less at all how the Congress and the president are now jockeying for position on this Iran deal. You met with the prime minister this week. How does he view what's going on in Washington now? I would certainly say bated breath is closer to the truth. <laughs> action, but... Uh, look, the Prime Minister has for many, many years, somebody last night uh, pointed out that uh, that he was the only one other than I who, who 15 years ago and 20 years ago warned about the danger of Iran, and uh, he actually started later than me. But 
<laughs> Somebody who has really been in the yeah, but he but he wrote a book about it. <laughs> he wrote a book and he gets much more attention, so it's, uh, it's more valuable that he does it. But he, he, you know, this is not an anti-American thing. It's not against the deal, nor wanting not to have a deal. This is about the concern of what the na- true nature and goals of Iran are, and one only has to listen to what Khamenei and others say. And Khamenei just this week again called for vigilance against U.S. influence, and he said we're never going to make a peace with the with this great Satan, and they should continue to the uh, attacks. And he said we'll block any attempt to a penetration of Iran. They're not talking about military penetration. They're talking about any positive messages, etc. And he continues to use the death to America uh, uh, slogan, uh, despite you know, all of the concessions, everything that, that is uh, taking place. So for the Prime Minister, uh, he follows it very closely, I would say, and he has done so. I think he certainly can be credited with having raised the profile of of the issue. And uh, the question now will be what will happen over the next uh, month or so, and then what happens the day after. Is he planning a trip to the U.S. in the near future that you're aware of? Yes. He's coming for, probably coming for the U.N. General Assembly. Uh, in uh, September, it, no October. Oh, October. End of September, October. Right. For um, uh, it'll be during Cholmoed, I think. All right, uh, we'll get to Schumer and Menendez, and there's a lot to talk about about who's on what side of the ledger right now, and some of them deserve a tremendous amount of credit. And I'm sure it's what you were alluding to earlier. But let us start with this: Representative Jerry Nadler of New York, according to the New York Times, will endorse President Obama's nuclear deal with Iran, becoming the lone. Jewish member of Congress from the state to back the contested arms control agreement. A long-tenured liberal Democrat, Nadler intends to declare his position on Friday, according to sources familiar with his decision, who asked to speak anonymously because the congressman has not yet made a formal announcement. Nadler, whose district stretches down Manhattan's west side and into Brooklyn, is closely identified with New York's Jewish community. I am sure you know him a long time. If this report at 8.04 in the morning on Friday is true, Malcolm, you must be extremely disappointed. Well, I have talked to him about it, so I'm not going to say I'm going to be surprised, but let's wait and see when the announcement comes out, what he actually does. Um, You know, people make decisions, and they have to live with the consequences of those decisions. Um, I know that people make arguments both ways, and that some feel that, uh, uh, you know, these are people who have come out, other senators have come out in the last two days uh, both ways, and if you look at the American public, Still, uh, an increasing majority, 56%, I think, the CNN poll yesterday uh, said Congress should reject it. It was up from 52% last month, but if you break it between Republicans and Democrats, it's like 83% Republicans uh, are against, and 70% of Democrats were for. And that's a very dangerous thing. We don't want to see any of these issues becoming partisan, and certainly not uh, the relationships with the, the, the Jews, the Jewish community, or with Israel. And uh, and the vast majority of people don't like the way that this whole issue is being handled, and we're seeing deep rifts that are being created in in the debate. And I think it's very important that we contain it. We have to think of this long term, right? And what additional steps we can take. But it is, now, I think, the responsibility falls on those who support the deal to make sure that it's going to be implemented. Right. And how are they going to do that in view of some things? We yeah, just like those who supported the Gaza disengagement, you know, we thought they'd be responsible for making sure that everything would be fine with the people who were uh, 
who were taken out of there, but excuse the comparison. Uh, speaking now of, uh, of those who have public officials who have voted one side or the other, we have not been, uh, we, had, we didn't have a weekly update since uh, Senator Schumer, which we consider to be a very important uh, vote in all this, declared that he'll be going against the deal. What was your reaction when you heard that news? Uh, I thought it was, it obviously was a very important thing. He, he had studied the issue. He did what he said he would do, and that is to take his time to hear from all sorts of people. I think many senators and congressmen are telling us that they're hearing, uh, they're listening to briefings from uh, people, experts who advocate both points of view to, to arrive at a conclusion. But he came to the conclusion that this was a dangerous deal, and, and um, I think people should uh, uh, acknowledge the fact that he took the step. I know there are people who are condemning him and saying he didn't do, you know, a campaign, he didn't do this, he didn't say about the uh, second vote. He did say about the second vote and as well. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, when people do the right thing, those who support it should make their voices heard just as much as they do when... Mm-hmm. People do things that they don't agree. Yeah, I didn't realize that there's it's not the rule. I didn't realize that there's some who are still dissatisfied with his decision, or at least the extent to which he went, as you just described. I believe every New York State resident who's against this deal must express their thanks and appreciation to Senator Schumer, his leadership. And he came out pretty early, by the way. I mean, calendarically, I'm speaking. He came out pretty early on this. He could have waited another couple of weeks at least, right? There's so many, many who have not come out yet. Even including some from the tri-state area and right. others who uh, are waiting. I'm not sure what more they will learn uh, about the deal. That uh, and and look, there's a lot of intimidation. There are a lot of uh, ads running, millions of dollars of ads on both sides. We see, you know, every ad has one has 200 people, one has 500, one has 30, 30, 80, 60. You know, I think the only one who benefits is, is the, the, are the newspapers and uh, and the media who run these ads. But it is an expression of the intensity of feeling about this, and it's reflected, I know, everywhere I go. I know that that, uh, people are engaged. I wonder how many of those who express views, though, have actually read the agreement and know what it really calls for and the difficulties in the implementation. I, I understand that. But if we if we just listen to your review each week about just the cash component and what it could mean to the future of terrorism without looking at any other word in the entire agreement, what one I think legitimately could come out and have a strong statement against the deal. Right. I, I think Menendez, Senator Menendez, who has been an heroic leader in all of this for a long time, I mean, not just in regard to this, but uh, when he was uh, the ranking member of the Foreign Relations Committee, and was the author of much of the legislation on sanctions, a co-author and co-leader on that. Um, he said, when he, he announced this week his position against the deal, obviously, uh, he believes that we, they could still get a better deal. Right. He said, disapprove this, right. and don't reject the entire agreement, disapprove, and then renegotiate. And, and some of the things are exactly what you said, the, the $700 million a month lifeline he referred to, uh, he wants ratification by Iran of the additional protocol for access to suspect sites, a ban on the centrifuges R&D re- research and development, which is not covered. And you see that some of the Iranian officials boast about the fact that they can continue uh, and that no no facility was closed and uh, deal with the PMD, the uh, possible military dimensions, which relates to the situation at Parchin, which is where they were weaponizing uh, doing experimentation on weaponizing uh, their nuclear ability, and it's one of the reasons why people want access because the half-life of 
the uranium is very long, even though they paved it over six times, etc., and why people are concerned about the supposed uh, additional agreement. And he wants the, the agreement to last at least 20 years. He, he's right. come up with other right. things. And we've seen a spate of articles about things that could be done to improve the deal. And by the way... It should be true regardless, by the way, of whether whatever the outcome. Right. And, and, and sure that these things, including about the supervision, how is the money out? What steps can be taken to make sure that the money doesn't go to terrorist groups? I think it'll be very hard. Right. But how do we do that? How do we make sure that there isn't this instant rush which will eliminate the cap- the, any prospect of a, what they call the snapback? Right. Menendez seemed to present a very level-headed approach with little emotion, so to speak, and, and, and really say what you've been saying all this time. Of course we want a deal. We just want a good deal. We want a good deal that that makes sense, and I think that's what he represented. Now, will Menendez and Schumer, in any way, influence Booker? I really don't know, and I think Senator Booker will make his decision. I assume, assume I heard soon. I heard, uh, but uh, you know, he's had also a good track record, and let's see what how this translates. Um, he's been certainly under a lot of pressure, and. Uh, and also, you know, the administration has a lot of cards to play, and, and there have been people, Democrats and uh, other supporters, who made phone calls and they threatened people on both sides. So it's got to be intimidating, and that's why, as Schumer said, that, you know, he listened to everybody, but the decision had to be his own. And uh, the same with others who on both sides who come to their own conclusions. I mean, obviously, political considerations have to factor in when you're an elected official and you have to think about your funders, your supporters, your, your possible prospects in the future. Uh, but this decision is of such consequence and the possible ramifications of this deal in, in so many ways that, um, uh, you know, when, when they boast about the fact that the missiles are not part of the agreement and no one's ever going to they will never negotiate the quality and nature of their missile program, which we know is advancing all the time, right. with a ballistic missile, which they don't need for Israel. Israel, they can hit with a conventional missile. They, and ballistic missiles means they want to hit Europe, the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, so, the, the, and they talk about all the things that they won't do. And, and coming from top officials, top aides of, of, uh, of Khamenei, let alone Khamenei himself, and the, he said it's absolutely forbidden that we allow inspectors into our military sites. No foreigners, no IA into our military sites. So they're, they're publicly negating key elements of this, which is what also contributes to the, to the distrust, knowing their past record, their history of deception and lying. Um, and they're talking about um, uh, the new weapons. He said, we don't need WMD. We, we, we can do it. But we see that they're buying new weapons. They're already negotiating. Uh, for uh, weapons purchases, and um, uh, th- and they said we're not obligated or required to accept anything decided by the Security Council. I don't take th- I take these things seriously because I think that they you know they they often tell us what they're going to do. Yeah. They feel more free to do it. Yeah, well, yeah, no question about it. Plus, just to bring this week full circle for me, and I visited the Ammonite village, East Jerusalem, on Wednesday saw the sacrifice that a few Jewish families make for what they believe is going to be a very important uh, 
uh, step in the uh, in the future of the Jewish people in the holy city of Jerusalem and places like Ir David and the Muslim quarter they are certainly good proofs of that in terms of you know what, what a few families can do and what things look like a few years later with that sacrifice in mind that those parents and children are undergoing maybe we can convince people here to take the small step of just contacting their public officials can we at least can we at least get people to make a phone call we're not asking you to live in places in Jerusalem that are really tough we're not asking you for to put your lives on the line all we're asking is every Everybody who continue to ask, by the way, what they can do is pick up a phone, speak to your public officials at every level, because we've talked about how symbolically, in some cases, uh, it is so important on every level uh, to speak to public officials about the Iran deal and support for Israel in general. And if people do that, at the minimum, then they will be involved. And, and we they can't. should speak respectfully. They should right. speak based on knowledge, make it a factual, substantive, not personalized this on either side. I think it's very unfortunate that... Those who uh, are, are against the deal are characterized as being pro-war, when in fact they are not, and when or that people are, are being attacked on a personal basis. It is not helpful. We also have to think about long-term relationships that, that we will need uh, to, to have after this issue is resolved one way or another. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the process, that it goes to a vote. People have said, well, what about a filibuster? There's no filibuster in this. It'll be an up or down vote, which is only a majority on the first vote, and right. then the president vetoes, and then you, they decide if they're going to go to a second vote right. if they think the numbers are there, and uh, um, and how all of that will play out. There have been many, many articles uh, describing it, but I, I just wanted to say one thing of what you just said, and, and to show the interconnectedness of all of this, that Iran is, pour, is pouring money now into uh, the PA through the Sharia court system, and buying influence with the Palestinians on the the West Bank, they have the Al Ansar uh, Charitable Society, which is based in Gaza, has been transferring Iranian money to uh, you know the families of what do they call martyrs, and uh, meaning terrorists, and uh, you know spending significant amounts of, of money, but also uh, uh, to um, uh, to to try to win public opinion and extend their influence there. This has been a, a, something they've said all along. They said that they would arm the people in the West Bank to, to, to start what is going on in Gaza, to copy what's going on in Gaza and Lebanon, to start a third front. It, it's not something Israel can dismiss. And again, the more resources they have to devote, the more free resources, uh, like the influx of money from this, uh, can be diverted to, and again, you don't need huge sums so it doesn't matter whether it's 50 billion or 100 billion, 150 billion, or 500 billion, as people have said, that will come over the course of. Uh, yeah, it, it's am- we've been talking about this for 20 years. It's amazing that today I fi- it finally galvanized for me how inexpensive terrorism is. You don't need a lot of money to carry out these missions. Right. Um, people want to know if the Conference of Presidents, and this is just an informational question. I'm not trying to pressure you one way or the other. If the Conference of Presidents is involved in the anti-deal uh, rally in Washington scheduled for the 9th of September. Some of the member organizations of the conference uh, of presidents are, and we were informing uh, people about all activities. We, we've had all sorts of informational briefings, et cetera, that for people. But this rally has its sponsors, and uh, there, there's not just going to be one. There are going to be several uh, events that I understand are being planned for that week in Washington. Oh, boys, so i got to be in Washington September 9th. Glad I got this warning from our listeners. By the way, a uh, a um, a very, uh, how do I put it, a very strong response about the news about Jerry Nadler 
Uh, Congressman Nadler, again, apparently is going to announce today that he's pro the deal um, and going with the president on this. And, uh, you know, like we say, make their voices heard. people can make their voices heard. They could certainly, they could certainly, uh, according to some of our listeners already, they're going to make their voices heard at the ballot box. Are you in Brooklyn for Shabbos, by the way? Yes. Okay. So you may you may hear from some folks who you think who expect who expected us to be even stronger about this news item. But again, as you say, it's not official yet. We'll find out when it does become official. Couple of things in your meeting with the prime minister. I, I, I'm sure this is private. Tell me we can't discuss it. That's fine. But did he have anything of significance or or of interest uh, that you could share with us about the news about Jonathan Pollard? Did it come up in your discussion with him? No. And also, did he go into any detail about this new tunnel detecting technology? You've described for us how down south it's incredible the level that Israel is getting to technologically in terms of detecting those tunnels. But apparently, the news this week is that it's getting even better and better. Any update on that? Uh, we did. Dis- I discussed that with, uh, let's say, people who are more closely involved with the actual implementation of those things. By the way, on Pollard, I mean, it came up at almost all the meetings right now, thank God. It's on track. We believe it will. He will be released. Well, the rumor is that the that the um, uh, that the conditions of his release, some of them are 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 absurd, and I don't know if we if we even should discuss this publicly. But that, right. that that's why don't we wait and see. I, right. He has great lawyers who are doing a great job for it. And, uh, we work with all of them, and as you know, we've been praying and hoping and working for this for a long time. Right. The next and, couple of months are not going to be easy. Let's put it that way. Right. For him. In general, it's not going to be that, that, that for, for 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 all sides to be happy when this story concludes. It's going to be a difficult couple of months. Listen, right now, I think it'll be happy ending that the guy is, is finally freed, long overdue, that he should be able to rebuild his life. I think he wants to do it quietly, about to travel and all of those things. The lawyers will work on it, and uh, well, yeah, there's a lot more than that, but right. Okay. But I think his first goal right now, and the goal for everyone, should be to get him out and let him live in freedom and get the treatments he needs and whatever else. Um, Understood. Tell us about the tunnel. And I think he doesn't look for, he doesn't want there to be no brass bands. It's not that kind of a thing. I think right. he wants to do it quietly and appropriately. In the Yemenite village, we visited Beit Yonatan, named for him. And, By the uh, way, I think we can't, you know, not mention one of the big stories of, of the last two days, which is how Israel, when you talked about the um, advances, how they've trained dolphins now <laughs> to be. Oh, I hope it's a. I, I hope it's a joke. <laughs> I can't even keep it. Oh, it is a way. joke. But, the but, do, the dolphins with built-in cameras. <laughs> cameras and the new part, they have a device capable of firing arrows, which can wound or even kill a man. How come only Hamas can detect these and 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 get them out of the water? How come? And how come and, they... and and they they claim that they've captured a dolphin. You know, a dolphin's also the name of those quick boats, so I don't know whether they know uh, the difference between the fish and the boat. Mm. But they didn't capture a boat, but the uh, they said it had spying equipment including cameras, and now this. Uh, and if you remember, I reported earlier how the Iranians said that Israel trained squirrels yeah, into their nuclear sure. program. And, uh, and, and there were some birds and other... Shark right. And, the, and the, the, the vulture that, right. that was captured in Saudi Arabia. But we have to know that in much of the world, people believe these stories. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of people believe all this stuff and and i mean it's a statement about the you're in and the and certainly about the capability but and when the al-quds the newspaper the palestinian paper reports this yeah. and uh, that they get they grew wary of the dolphin because of its suspicious movements Crazy. hello 
Crazy. All right, a couple of last things. Let's go back for a moment. The tunnel detecting technology, based on the briefings you got, are we getting to the point where, where literally every one of these will be able to be detected and, and Israel will not be taken by surprise? Are we getting to that point? Moving to that point, the United States is also, and the U.S. and Israel, again, a message that the cooperation between the two in this regard is very important, as is all the military and security and intelligence cooperation, which is uh, ongoing. Uh, and uh, the reports, by the way, while we were on the air, um, about Israel canceling the Juniper Copra exercises this is not true. Uh, they are going ahead. There was just a visit uh, of, a, of a naval vessel that's actually still in Haifa um, with joint exercises there. It's a missile uh, launching boat. Um, so there are things that, uh, that uh, many things that continue to go on, obviously. This is a high priority is to find technology to detect uh, underground tunnels. And I know that there has been serious progress in, in this regard. And obviously Israel is looking now because Hamas has said that they will do it again and, and uh, the situation in the north requires it. Yeah. All right. And finally, and please include um, uh, in your answer um, the cooperation, because you do a tremendous amount with the United Nations, as we know, and we would discuss it on a regular basis. Uh, Danny Danone has been uh, appointed as the new Israeli ambassador to the U.N., so your reaction to that in terms of his uh, abilities – uh, that will likely um, be exhibited in the United Nations. And is he aware of the fact that uh, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes, not just in terms of the relationship between Israel and other countries in the U.N., but the work that's being done uh, behind the scenes to influence the way the U.N. and the Security Council uh, in general treats Israel? Well, I met with him while I was in Israel, and we had actually a very long meeting, and I told him the realities uh, of uh, of the United Nations as we see it, and he was very receptive, and he wants to learn. He, he uh, he's very articulate, I think, and he's smart and understands also how he has been portrayed, and uh, the need for him to to change that image. And uh, he is, I think, very sensitive to it. Um, the uh, you know the decision is made. He's coming, and I think. You know, all the other discussions now are are uh, not relevant. What's relevant is what he does because they're going to face real tests, including possibility of a Security Council resolution on the Middle East. You saw the French again popping up about uh, getting a resolution and working towards uh, and proposing peace uh, uh, process proposals, uh, plans. Um, there will be other many other issues. The Prime Minister will come and obviously address the Iran issue. Uh, as well as other matters when it comes, uh, but it'll be after, uh, likely after the fact yeah. uh, of the legislation. But you also have a Security Council resolutions, and you have, the, yeah. the, they are not all the same as the joint agreement. Right. So he, there's going to be a full agenda for him. And When does he take over? What, what month does he actually start this uh, position? I think that the, Ron Prosor has done such an excellent job, will remain through the General Assembly and certainly the Prime Minister's speech early October, and then... Um, then and the transition? Danone uh, wants to be there, wants to be here for a transition to learn and to, to take time to prepare, and then he will take over in October. Malcolm, we've shared a couple of uh, tough times over the last few months. Let us share many, many smachot, wonderful occasions together, and thank you for joining us, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Uh, there he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update every Friday here at JMN. Good to be back on track with the weekly update, and make sure to be tuned in next week. There'll be plenty more for us 
to discuss that I can guarantee you. And remember, about 15 minutes from now, the entire weekly update from today is already going to be in the archives section, uh, in the weekly update section of the archives section of the NSN app. So anything you missed, you could literally, even before this show ends, you can go and listen to the entire conversation. Go to the... Um, Go to the weekly update section of the archives section. It should be under W. Weekly update section of the archives section on the NSN app. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Shoftim. According to the Chinuch, Parshas Shoftim contains 41 mitzvos, 14 positive mitzvos, and 27 restrictions. The Parsha begins with the command that there be judges and a judicial system throughout the land of Israel, and As we know, the Torah is understood on many different levels. And so, the Shalah HaKadosh understands the opening part of the parsha. Shoftim v'shochim titen l'cha b'chol she'orecha. Literally, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your she'orim. Now, a sha'ar literally means gates. Our scroll translates it as cities. But the Shalah HaKadosh says it refers to each individual. Each individual has various gates, the different senses, speech, hearing, seeing, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives each person the ability to observe in a very literal sense, and you are to literally digest and take this information that God shows you and your life experiences present to you, Vishavtu Esa'am Mishpat Sadek. And you should literally conduct not only in the community, but vis a vis yourself, you shall conduct righteous judgment. What does that mean? It means you are to be honest with yourself. And I'd like to share with you this morning a very powerful idea as suggested by Rebilio Schlesinger, Shlita, a Rav of Gilo, in his Sefer, Ele Hadvarim, on the Torah. And I'm going to share with you three different proofs from Tanakh to substantiate a very powerful idea. We find ourselves in the month of Elul. The Svardim are already saying Slichos. We begin saying Slichos a week before Rosh Hashanah. And I don't have to tell you that this is the time for introspection. The reality is that man resists change. And it's very important for us to know this because each and every person listening is going to think that we're talking about the next one. Really, each and every one of us knows that we're talking about ourselves. 
What does that mean, man resists change? Well, let's start with the very first man. The Torah tells us in chapter 2 that Adam HaRishon, who was created clearly outside of Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, the Torah says in chapter 2, Pasuk 15, God took the man and He placed him in Gan Eden, to work it, to guard it. And Rashi says, what didn't you understand? And He took. So Rashi says, as often is the case, it's not simply to take physically, but God spoke to Adam in a very soft, gentle, persuading way, and convinced him, cajoled him to enter. Meaning that wherever Adam was outside of the Garden of Eden, he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to enter the Garden. And then once he is in the Garden, as we know, he doesn't want to leave. And so, unfortunately, after he sins, in chapter 3, what do we find? Verse 23 in chapter 3, God literally um, banishes and sends him out but clearly after that and he chases him he doesn't want to leave man resists change and I'd like to share with you three different circumstances from Tanakh bring a Tanakh to the table uh, tonight and you'll say to yourself I don't believe it. But I think it's so important that we see it first in others and then you know what to do, whom else to see it. The first one that we're going to visit is take a look in the Pasuk at the end of chapter 6 in the book of Yoshua. After the Jewish people complete the first Conquest in the land of Israel, the city of Yericho. So, chapter 6 in the book of Yoshua, verse 26, concludes Vayashba Yoshua Be'isahilemor. Yoshua, listen carefully now, placed a vow upon the people at that time, the nation. Orura Ish. Lifnei Hashem, literally, cursed be the man before God, who will rise up and rebuild this city of Yericho, Jericho, with his oldest child, namely with the death of his oldest child, he will lay its foundation, and and with his youngest child, the death of that child, this was the curse that Yoshua placed, that nobody should rebuild the city of Yericho. Now let us fast forward five centuries later. And what do we find, unfortunately, in the book of Milachim Aleph, chapter 16, Pasuk 24. We find over there the following, that, ouch, there was 
an individual whose name was Chiel. Chiel from Beit El. And what does it say? This is in the time of Achav. Biyamov, in the days of Achav, this is chapter 16, verse 34, in Malachim Aleph. Biyamov, in his day, Bonachiel, Beso Elias, Yericho, he defied the curse of Yoshua. Ba'aviram Bechorol Yista, with the, when he literally began and laid the foundation, his first born son Aviram died. And Uvisguv Tseiro Hitzivdulaseha. And literally with the death of his son Seguv, his youngest one, he installed its doors. As Kidvar Hashem Ashadibir Biyad Yoshua bin Nun. Literally, like the word of Hashem that Yoshua had spoken five centuries earlier. Now you're going to ask yourself, how could this be? Well, let me just tell you something else about this man, Chiel. He lived at the time, as I mentioned, of Achav. This was the time that Elio Anavi challenged the false prophets at the top of Harakarmel. They built two altars, and Elio said, that you are the majority, you go first. Whoever will bring down the fire from heaven, they are, that is the one who represents the true God. And so they went first, clearly knowing there'd be no way they can bring the fire down. So they needed a volunteer who would literally hide under the Mizbeach, the altar that they built, and somehow artificially and mechanically light a fire when they would call out, giving the impression that it had come down from heaven. Who was that volunteer? That volunteer was none other than Chiel. And what are we told by our rabbis that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent a serpent, a snake, who bit him? And this is found in the Yalkut Shimoni, in Malachim Aleph, Yudches. Again, a person, unfortunately, who believed in his ideology till his death. The second entry that I'd like you to look up is the following. There was a false prophet whose name was Hananiah, the son of Azor. And he lived in the time of Yirmiyo Anavi. And what he tried to do was to undermine all the prophecies of Yirmiyo, saying that after all, he is the true prophet, and Yirmiyahu is not. And so, what do we find? That in Yirmiyahu chapter 28, verse 17, the Navi tells us that Yirmiyahu promises this man that he 
is going to die. Now listen carefully now. He accuses him at the end of chapter 28 of Yirmiyahu. You, Hananya, right? You have lied to the people. Lochain, therefore, closing verse of that chapter. Koamar Hashem, this is what God has said. You're out of this world. You will die in this year. Because you have spoken falsely. The last verse of the chapter. He died in that year. In the seventh month. What does that mean? The, the new year starts with Rosh Hashanah in the seventh month. So Rashi tells you on the spot. He died as the Navi had predicted. That year he died on Erev Rosh Hashanah. And what was this man busy with on his deathbed? On his deathbed he was pleading with his children, don't bury me today, bury me after Rosh Hashanah, so it will look that Yirmiyahu was wrong, and so literally till his last breath, this man, when he saw literally the hand of God, the word of God, instead of saying Chotasi Ovisi Poshati, what does he do? As the Gemara tells us in Erevin 19a Rishoim Afilu Apischo Shogehenim, literally standing at the gateway to H E L L, Enam Chosrim Betshuva. They do not literally repent. And finally, we go to the third entry. I hope you still have your Tanakh. And what do we have? We have regarding Yeravam ben Nevat, who unfortunately, as the Talmud tells us, is a chote umachti, literally a sinner and caused others to sin. So go to Malachim Aleph, chapter 13, verse 6. And what happens? The Navi comes to Yeravam, and the Navi says to Yeravam that there will be a slaughter of all these false prophets and proof the Mizbeach, the literally the altar that you are standing on and you are about to offer incense is going to crack and the incense is going to, uh, and the ash is going to spill. And so exactly what happens? We're told over there that Yeravam stretches forth his hand and sees him. He pushes, he pulls, extends his hand, and what did we taught? Vativash yodo asheshalach olav. The hand that he extends becomes paralyzed. shiva, and he cannot retract his hand. So what happens? Listen carefully now. So the Navi then goes and asks the Prophet of God, please. 
prayed to Hashem that my hand should be healed. And sure enough, the Navi does so. And what are we told? Listen carefully now. And it was as in the beginning. So the literal understanding is that it refers to his hand. Correct. Says the Medrash Tanchuma in Parshas Kisisa. What does it mean? It was as the beginning. Says Ouch! Rabbi Yehuda bar Simon in the name of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Mabari Shona Omedu Makriv Lavodazara, just as in the beginning, he was with his idolatry, even after this, that his hand was paralyzed, instead of saying, Chatasi Ovisi Poshati, what did he do? Af he went back to the Avodazara. I began with the three words, man resists change. The famous teaching of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, that it's easier for a person to finish all of Shas, rather than change even one individual Midah. This is such a powerful idea. We're now in Elul. Don't look to the next one. Each person... Shoftim v'shotrim, titen l'cha. Be honest with yourselves. That's the best way to please God. Finish this year and approach, please God, a new, more productive next year. Shabbat shalom to all.
JM in the AM with Yaakov Shweki and Bowie Vishalom. Candlelighting 725, getting earlier and earlier. Erev Shabbos Parsha Shoftim. Thank you to Randy for yesterday's show. I um, want to thank everybody at Nefesh Benefesh at Herod Kohanim. Um, one is real fun. The uh, wonderful people at the Efrat Medical Center in Efrat. A special, we had a lot of great interviews and a lot of wonderful guests during our shows. Uh, my conversation with Ari Riskin. Obviously, <laughs> others, uh, aside from myself, felt the impact of that conversation yesterday. Yesterday, somebody contacted Stacy if there's any way they can get a transcript of that conversation. It, his words were so powerful. He is such a clear thinker and such an amazing presenter, and uh, we loved having him on. It was the first time that I ever interviewed him when the both of us were in Ephrat, Israel, which made it extra special, of course. So, uh, We have not done our Elul chauffeur blowing yet this morning. We traditionally do it after Rabbi Goldwasser's words on Monday through Thursday, and I believe Matis does it as well uh, during JM Sunday. So let's do our Elul chauffeur blowing and continue right here at JM in the AM. Nine minutes before uh, and nine o'clock as we wrap up another wonderful week. Don't forget our incredible weekend programming does include JM Sunday with Matis happening Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in. English news from Israel is featured during that show. Monday we're back and Monday we should finally have all the details regarding the big uh, pre-Rosh Hashanah New Year celebration that we'll be doing with Gourmet Glot this coming Wednesday. Uh, they know how to throw a party and we'll be partying with them in advance of Rosh Hashanah. Gourmet Glot is the place exactly where and with whom and the whole thing, all those details, hopefully uh, Monday morning right here at JMN. That takes place on Wednesday. A lot of people are off next week. A lot of people say they have nothing to do with the kids next week. Reserve early morning Wednesday to come on out and join us at Gourmet Glot. We'll get you the exact address. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. They usually give out stuff and uh, live music, etc., etc. So it should be a lot of fun. Make sure to be tuned in. Wednesday to JM in the AM. Wrapping things up before we get to our closing theme with the Friedman family and Cole McCaddish. This is JM in the AM.
Kadesh, the Friedman family from Isaides Miras, that's the name of that CD here at JM in the A. Candle lighting 725, Erev Shabbos Parsha Shoftim. I want again take this opportunity to thank and continues to pour forward, and I, and I thank you so much, all the wonderful well-wishers and uh, wonderful people, great listeners out there who have expressed their condolences. It's much appreciated. And we thank you so much. Um, time to say good job is Journeys at JM in the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Hmm. I don't like the way that sounds. We'll try to see if we can make it sound a little better as we start to wind up the week or wind down the week here at JM in the AM. My gosh, unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, I take this opportunity to thank Randy, who did yesterday's program here at JM in the AM. Much appreciated. And, of course, I thank the entire staff who did such an amazing job over the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, again, I thank all the listeners uh, for their for their uh, wonderful wishes after the uh, passing of my mother, and I thank this incredible staff for the amazing job during Shiva, and I thank uh, Miriam L. Wallach and those who were responsible for this amazing journey that we took to Israel uh, to be with Nefesh Benefesh and Atarat Kanim and the One Israel Fund and our friends at the Carmel Winery. It was really a very, very compact 36 hours in Israel, uh, but an incredible and wonderful experience, and I hope that the listeners... Uh, really enjoyed and were inspired by what transpired during this program in Israel. Monday morning, we're back. We'll start at 6 a.m. J.M. Sunday with Matzah starts at 7 on Sunday. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Until next week, it's Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.